Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, September 27th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Uh, we got the whole podcast to ourselves because uh, we are short-staffed today. So, uh, But we got a lot of interesting and exciting news to talk about. Let's start about let's start with uh, probably the most exciting news bit of today's podcast and that is that it was revealed this morning that Spider-Man will stay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What do we know, Brad? That's right. Spider-Man is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at least for the foreseeable uh future. Uh in a surprise announcement today from both Sony Pictures and Walt Disney Studios, Uh, The two announced that they have struck a new deal for Kevin Feige to produce a third film in the Spider-Man franchise that will be released on July 16th, 2021, uh, with Tom Holland back as Spider-Man. And on top of that, the deal also includes an appearance by Spider-Man in a future Marvel Studios film, though it has not been named specifically which movie that might be. Uh, In the press release, Kevin Feige said... Quote, I'm thrilled that Spidey's journey in the MCU will continue, and I and all of us at Marvel Studios are very excited that we get to keep working on it. Spider-Man is a powerful icon and hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. He also happens to be the only hero with a superpower to cross cinematic universes, so as Sony continues to develop their own Spideyverse, you never know what surprises the future might hold. Uh, So that sounds like uh, an interesting hint as to what the future might hold for Spider-Man, perhaps existing both in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and maybe a separate Spider-Man universe that Sony Pictures controls. And uh, that makes sense considering Kevin Feige previously hinted that it was likely a crossover with Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Tom Hardy's Venom would eventually happen. Um, but, what what uh, do we beyond... think of that, though? Because I feel like Kevin Feige's not going to have control over those crossovers, right? Like, he's only going to be in control of the Marvel Cinematic Universe side of things. So... Like, you have two companies controlling this one popular franchise character, and I feel like, you know, they could make a Venom versus Spider-Man movie, and uh, if they do it badly, it could taint, you know, Tom Holland's version of that, of Peter Parker. 
I mean, if they figure out a way to make a clear definition between the two, um, I think that it people would understand exactly, you know, the, the difference and maybe would be able to understand, okay, so this Spider-Man is the good one, but the one that's in this one, it's, <laughs> it's not that great anymore. Um, but I don't know. I mean, personally, I, th- I think the, the best part of this is that at the very least, they can maybe finish what they intended to do with Spider-Man's arc by doing a third movie. And I wouldn't be surprised if whatever that other Marvel movie is that they mention is the one that maybe explains how he leaves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, perhaps there's some kind of way for him to do it in uh, through Doctor Strange or something like that. And maybe he has to leave to go to a parallel uh, universe or alternate timeline to stay safe from something that's happening uh, in his universe. Uh, you know, it's there's you know there's a lot of possibilities here. Oh, wait, wait, so you're suggesting that, you know, he'll do this film and the other film and then he will be gone from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and only in the Sony Universe at that point? Yeah, maybe. That, that, that's a possibility. Or, oh, uh, I was reading the quote as he was going to exist in both universes at the same well, time, no, and that would be uh, super confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think either is possible, but I'm the, the second one I'm just I'm hypothesizing the possible explanation as to how that could work, you know, if, if yeah. that's not the case. I mean, I, I would like that more, but that would still mean the Spider-Man leaves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I guess sure. I, he would at least be able to end his arc, would, would, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And, and then maybe, you know, at some point, if, you know, Sony ends up not being able to do anything good with that Spider-Man, then they can bring him back into the MCU with a new deal, you know, sometime down the road. Yeah. Speaking of new deals, uh, I've been reading uh, Bob Iger's new book. It's called... The Ride of a Lifetime, Lessons Learned from 15 Years of as CEO of Walt Disney Company. I've been listening to it on Audible. I'll probably talk about this on The Water Cooler next week. Uh, but uh, first of all, the, the, the first chapter is read by Bob Iger, and I was, like, super excited because I was like, oh, Bob Iger's going to read this whole book to me. But no, it's only the first chapter. Um, then it's, like, one of those normal, you know, audiobook narrators uh but um it it is a fascinating book giving a lot of inside behind the scenes gossip uh there's uh three different like there's a chapter on the pixar acquisition there's a chapter on marvel there's a chapter on star wars i think for those three chapters alone it's worth picking up this book and reading it but uh as i was reading this book yesterday and there's tons of stuff that hasn't been picked up online uh that it's just like like literally like a sentence that's just dropped in the middle of a paragraph that's like oh my god that would have changed the face of everything um so one of those things yesterday i was reading and uh in the middle of him talking about how he negotiated with steve jobs to acquire pixar animation studios he mentions in a <laughs> just like a I don't know, just offhanded way. He says, a few years later, Steve would propose shutting down Disney animation completely and just making animated films of Pixar. Even John Lasseter and Ed Capnell uh, hated this idea, and I rejected it. So th- that's crazy that that was – I mean, I guess that, that like at that time – let's rewind because we're now in the world – of Frozen and Moana and Wreck-It Ralph and these big Walt Disney Animation hits. But back when the Pixar deal was made, Walt Disney Animation Studios was not in a good place. Um, You know, 
I, I think even Iger said that like he was in the Disney parks and he watched a parade and all the characters were all Pixar characters and n- nobody had an affinity for you know the Walt Disney animation character characters coming out of those movies. Um, so you know right now it's like oh Steve Jobs was dumb, but at that point it was a much different landscape and uh, what Jobs was proposing was that they you know had Pixar Animation Studios in Emeryville. Create, create the future of Disney animation and actually shut down Walt Disney Animation Studios. And, uh, Brett, that would have changed everything. Like, literally, like, I can't even imagine what this world would be without, you know, Let It Go and all the stuff that has come from Walt Disney Animation Studios since. Uh, thankfully, John Lasseter, you know, and Ed Catmull both had a love for that studio. I mean, that studio is where they that got them into animation and uh and bob Iger rejected it but like what, what do you think like was this a ridiculous idea i mean at the time it wasn't so ridiculous just because disney was not doing very well you know they yeah. were talking about late 90s early 2000s disney uh where they weren't really putting out that greatest stuff you know their best movies were mulan and lilo and stitch and by Disney Renaissance standards, they were fine, uh, but they weren't anywhere near on the level of the critical acclaim and box office draw that movies like Aladdin and The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King were. So Disney animation was just really struggling at the time. And so when you see Pixar doing so well and they just spent all this money to to buy the animation studio, you know, why wouldn't you think, OK, well, this is our future of animation now and we'll stick with this. Um, but, you know, from a creative level, that's that would have been really depressing because, you know, not only is not only is Disney this, you know, ha- has always been this powerhouse of animation, but you know, not all mo- animated movies need to be Pixar movies. You know, I'm I love Pixar to death. You know, I, I there are uh, only a couple of Pixar movies that I'm only meh on and I usually love the rest of them. But, you know, it's nice to have a change of pace. You don't want every movie trying to emulate Pixar. You know, you want some variance because. Uh, animation is a medium and not a genre. Yeah. And but but but, not- but maybe at that point, maybe Pixar would have done like you know uh, musicals and done some of the stuff that you know Walt Disney Animation Studio. Like maybe it would have diversified Pixar more. I don't I don't know I don't I don't think so just because I don't think that Pixar wanted to try to be Disney. Yeah. They wanted to be to be Pixar, and so I think it's good that Lasseter and Ed Catmull you know saw that they needed to preserve. Walt Disney Animation Studios and keep that alive, you know, with with Disney's style. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to bring this up in the water core, but there, there's another story in here that I don't think we've reported on, but it's been on a couple of the business sites. But it was talking about uh, the process of acquiring Pixar and the day that they were going to announce this, like they were going to announce it at Apple campus. And uh, it was a half an hour before the, the signing and announcement. Steve Jobs, uh, told Bob Iger, he was like, you know, can we go for a walk? And Iger went with him and, you know, Steve Jobs loved walks. And he told him on this walk that he was like, confidentially, you can't repeat this because the only person that knows this is my wife at this point. He's like, uh, uh, the cancer has come back. I'm going to die. Uh, you know, I'm about to become the biggest shareholder in the company. I'm about to become a board member. I'm telling you this uh, because this is your last chance. You can pull out of the deal. Which is, like, insane. At that point, if Iger had pulled out of the deal, it's not even like he could go back to the board and be like, we're pulling out of the deal because Steve Jobs is going to die. You know, like, all the stuff. He can't tell anybody. So in that, like, moment, in that, like, half an hour bit of time, 
he had to like by himself make make that decision, which is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, actually, actually, if uh, even if you don't have the book, uh, Vanity Fair published a piece um, that was that's basically a, an abridged version of different sections from Bob Iger's book, yeah. uh, and and part of it includes that story that you just told. So I. Uh, we'll, we should put that link in the story no- in the the show notes. Yeah, we'll put that in the other articles mentioned section. Um, but I'll talk about this more on the water cooler next week. Uh, let's move on from Steve Jobs to Apple TV and what Apple is currently doing. Uh, we know that they are doing their streaming service. They're making TV shows. They're making movies, and we haven't been clear on what's going to happen. Like, are are, are these movies going to go straight to the service, or are they going to hit theaters? And now we have. A little bit more of an indication of what Apple plans. Brad, what do we know? Apple TV uh, is looking to follow in the footsteps of Amazon by playing nice with movie theaters. Netflix uh, in the past few years has uh, become very aggressive with trying to push movie theaters away from the traditional three-month theatrical window that most movies get when they go into theaters simply because they want to put a movie in theaters for a little bit and then have it go to right into the Netflix library. And movie theaters aren't cool with that because the longer a movie stays in theaters, the more money they get from the ticket sales. But Apple doesn't want to shake things up. Uh, they just want to be able to release their movies in theaters and then send them to their streaming service sometime down the road. And they're hoping to follow Amazon's uh, footsteps by doing uh, what they do with their movies, which is uh, they give it a full theatrical release for a few months. And then a little bit later, after it comes out on home video, they put it in their streaming library. So Apple TV has already been talking with a lot of theater chains about doing this. But this isn't something that they're going to be doing with all of their movies. Uh, one of the ones that's mentioned that will probably be their first uh, major theatrical release will be uh, On the Rocks, which is the next movie from Sofia Coppola that follows Rashida Jones as a woman looking to reconnect with her uh, eccentric father, who's played by Bill Murray. And that's the first movie that is part of their partnership with A24. And they're hoping that they can release it in the summer of 2020, possibly right after us, or at least, or at least shortly after it uh, premieres at Cannes Film Festival, if they, are man- uh, they manage to strike a deal to have the film play there. Um, but there will be smaller movies, too. There's uh, this article from the Wall Street Journal with this information mentions that they already have a documentary called The Elephant Queen, which follows an elephant leading her herd across Africa that will be available on Apple TV Plus when the service launches on November 1st. And they've already been talking about giving it a, a, a smaller theatrical release rather than a full uh, win- um, three month window in order to have it qualify for awards before it goes uh, on to be on their streaming service. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense. Like, they were courting J.J. Abrams, and I don't think they had a chance of getting him if it... I mean, not that they got him. They didn't. But I don't think they would have even been in the ballpark if they didn't weren't going to show things on the big screen, because I feel like that's something that would have been appealing to like someone like Abrams. And it's definitely going to be appealing to other filmmakers that are making films for Apple. I'm just, like, wondering, like, Apple... You know, for years and years, we're known as innovators, and now, like, it, it seems like very much what they're, they're, the direction of this company is the status quo. And it doesn't seem like they're doing anything different than the other guys are doing, especially with the streaming service, uh, which, Brad, like, is, is there going to be anything different? Like, it, or is this going to, like, are they just taking the lead of everybody else? Yeah, I mean, in this case, it seems like they are taking the lead of every, everything else, because, I mean, Apple is first and foremost you know, a tech company. 
And so I feel like that they'll always maybe have more innovation there than they do anywhere else, even though they've also gotten criticism for lacking in that in recent years, uh, especially since, you know, Steve Jobs passed away. But, uh, you know, the, I think the problem, the biggest problem is that the streaming wars are just so crowded at this point that it's hard to do anything that's new. You know, I mean, the only thing that is innovative right now about uh, the world of streaming is something like what Quibi is doing. Uh, you know, and, and we're kind of laughing, you know, at what they're doing because everything they're doing just sounds so off the wall and kind of odd. So I, at this point, I just think we've reached an uh, an and a, a time in this, you know, battle for streaming supremacy where there's not a lot of new things that can be done. So Apple is just kind of like, all right, well, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, um, I'd like to see some more innovation. Not that I don't want to see movies in theaters. I do. Uh, but I want to see I want to see them change things up a bit and try something different. Uh, but let, let's talk about streaming. Let's talk about Netflix and Martin Scorsese. They are doing The Irishman. Uh, the movie has made its premiere today in New York City, and our own Chris Evangelista and Huay Tran Bui were both in attendance. We wrote up a early Buzz article. Chris is going to be doing a full review, but I'll read to you a couple of the reactions, which uh, I am kind of surprised because judging by the trailers for this film, I was kind of like a little underwhelmed by the trailers. But the reactions here are a little bit, uh, are a lot more hopeful. So anyways, Chris says the Irishman is a masterwork. Funny, epic, and most of all, melancholy. It's Scorsese's confronting aging legacies and mortality. I may or may not have teared up at the end. And uh, HT is a little bit, uh, I mean, she's still hyperbolic, but a little bit uh, more critical. She says, the Irishman made me hungry. Marge Christensen's bid to make his Citizen Kane is pretty close to a masterpiece. De Niro, Pacino, Pesci are all firing on all cylinders. And the three-plus the three plus runtime rarely drags. The de-aging effects are rough, but I couldn't imagine the sprawling saga without De Niro in the entire time. Um, and we have a roundup of everybody that uh, that has tweeted out from that screening. But the word masterpiece, masterwork, um, comparisons uh, to Scorsese's earlier films, uh, you know, there it, it seems like very high praise. Um, so, yeah, that's something we can look forward to. The Irishman that's going to be hit theaters before it's going to be on Netflix. Um, but uh, by the time you hear this, I'm sure Chris's review might even be on the site. So you might want to check that out as well. Uh, but let's hit our last story, which um, we talked earlier about Spider-Man uh, re uh, reuniting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Tom Holland is the star of uh, of that series, and he's also going to be the star of Uncharted, a movie that uh, lost its director, Dan Trachtenberg, uh, around the same time that Spider-Man lost the MCU. Um, and, but it seems like Sony has found a new director to, to be their puppet. I mean, to be their director. Uh, Brad, what do we know? Oh, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks like Sony is just fixing all their problems today. Uh, they they have Bumblebee director Travis Knight taking over after Dan Trachtenberg recently left. Uh, we never really found out why he left the film, uh, so it's unclear exactly what happened, whether it was scheduling or creative issues. Uh, but Travis Knight is coming in to keep the movie on track. It sounds like they're still hoping uh, to hit that December uh, 2020 release date that was previously set. Uh, they're going to have to move pretty fast if they want to do that, though. 
So uh, we'll see if they can make it happen. Um, I mean, as much as I would have loved Dan Trachtenberg to see to direct this movie, he, uh, Travis Knight's a pretty solid replacement. Uh, I was a big fan of Bumblebee, and I think that he did a good job of bringing the Transformers franchise back to uh, a good space. You know, he added some some real heart, and he gave gave the franchise focus instead of having it be this big mash of tons of metal characters and uh, an ensemble cast that you don't care about and everything. And he, he gave us, you know, kind of a, a magical sci-fi adventure that felt like it came straight out of the 1980s. So I'm hoping that maybe he's got enough, you know, in him that he can maybe turn this into an action adventure throwback, you know, from the same decade, maybe even something from the nineties <laughs> and can make this work. But at, at this point, it's been so long that Uncharted has been in development that I'm not even going to believe this movie is actually happening until I'm sitting in a theater watching it. Yeah. I mean, I am a fan of Travis Knight. I like what he's done at, like, uh, the stop-motion animated company that uh, he runs. And uh, I loved Bumblebee. Bumblebee was a, a good movie. Uh, and I know he, that was an, another similar situation where the, the studio had a release date, they had a script, and uh, they had a ticking clock. And they hired him, and he came in and uh, made the best out of a bad situation and the movie ended up being good. So, I mean, there's that, uh, but it, it seems like he is, but be- the, what? the downside, the downside here is that the script comes from art Markham and Matt Holloway, who are the writers behind men in black international and transformers. The last night, both uh, movies that are extremely disappointing for a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, yeah, that's not good. And um, but maybe Travis Knight can make something of it. But I, Travis Knight aside, even when Dan Trachtenberg was involved in this uh, movie, movie franchise, I, I was skeptical that a Uncharted movie. I you know I've played. I don't play many video games, but I played a little bit of Uncharted two, and I think the first one. Um, and th- those movies are just so cinematic. They're so such a emulation of Indiana Jones and. You know, maybe John McClane from Die Hard. It's like a, a mashup of of different things, and I feel like if you do it right, it's just going to seem like a copy of a copy of a copy. Like I don't know if there's a way to there's not a way to top the cutscenes in the video game. And when you're playing the video game, and you're even when you're like doing those quick time events where like it seems like you're in danger, but you're not. You're you're so invested in those moments of hanging off something that you can't feel that investment watching someone not connected on the big screen. And I'm not sure there's a way to do an Uncharted movie where it will be better or as good as the video game. Do you have any connection to the video game, Brad? No, I've actually not played Uncharted at all. I've, I've The closest I've come is just seeing trailers for the game whenever a new iteration comes out. And it looks like a, a very fun game. I just haven't taken the time to play it. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see how this turns out. Uh, but it looks like Tom Holland is back in the game, and uh, Sony is making good uh, because it seems, it seems like uh, if I was Tom Holland, I wouldn't have been happy a few weeks back when all that stuff was announced. Uh, but okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com, also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderson, and you can also find my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, uh, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me at SlashFilm.com. You can find all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, 
all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you on Monday.